Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, so today we're continuing in our First Corinthians series. And before Jacko brings us the sermon uh, today, we'll just turn to our Bibles, uh, reading from both the Old Testament and the New. So from the Old Testament, we're going to be starting off in Psalm 16, uh, which is at page 378 at the NIV at the back if you have that, or on your phones. So Psalm 16, keep me safe, my God, for for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delightful inheritance. I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Our second reading from the New Testament comes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 1 through 19. So that's 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 1 through 19. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I, pre- word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of great importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is they or that this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then to be found false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
Thanks for reading, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. I'm Simon, if I haven't met you before. People around here have called me Jacko, um, lead pastor of City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, If you were tempted to close that part of God's Word, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, please open it up again uh, on your phone or on um, in your Bible that you might have brought along with you today. Um, I, um, yeah, I apologize. Um, I was really hoping that we could um, watch Eloise get wet in this room uh, together. Um, and, uh, you know, we had all plans for that. Um, I'm the dodgy plumber, basically. Um, and so it didn't work out in this room. But I do really encourage you that sort of immediately after the formal part of our gatherings finished today, we're going to sort of almost exit out that door into the car park um, and uh, watch Eloise um, publicly, in some ways, uh, make a declaration to stand for Jesus. Um, and uh, I don't know, listening to her testimony, listening to your testimony, sister, I started to tear up um, just in praise of God's work in your life. Um, we can talk about that maybe later in the car park, but uh, just so thankful for God's grace to you um, and for the way he's pursued you and how in some ways you've pursued him because of his love. So, yeah, really encouraged. Um, we are yeah, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, continuing our series. If you've been here at City Light Church, North Adelaide for a while, this is, this is where we are. And uh, I encourage you to keep it open. Let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Father, um, what, a, what a magnificent truth that we get to think about this morning, that Christ was raised from the dead and because um, he was, we can too. For those of us who trust in Christ, Father, a future bodily resurrection from the dead into the new creation is an absolute certainty. So, Father, do help us, we pray, to put our trust in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, or at least the first bit of it, well, the whole chapter, but we're only looking at the first bit of it. 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful passage to read on any occasion, any week you gather together at church. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful text for Easter Sunday as we celebrate Jesus emerging from the grave, crushing death. I think it's a wonderful passage to look at on the day when one of us is being baptised. Um, as I was preparing this, Eloise, you, know, you don't like being the centre of attention, but I did keep thinking about you a lot, and I'm going to work hard not to talk about you too much in this message as well. Um, it's a wonderful thing, wonderful at Easter, wonderful at a baptism. But I wonder, right, bigger picture, in the midst of a global coronavirus pandemic, well, I think it's a great thing to be looking at, 1 Corinthians 15, because death is more common than we're used to. As I speak, I looked it up this week, 3.28 million people globally have died from COVID-19. 600,000 or thereabouts in the US, close to 400,000 in the UK. We haven't reached 1,000 in Australia. You may not have been touched by it personally. You may not know many who it's directly affected. Um, I've got a friend who uh, lives in the UK and he rides his bike, I'm a cyclist, he rides his bike every day as well in parts of London. Um, For a while there, he was riding past, every time he went on his ride, he'd ride past two makeshift morgues, uh, which he felt was pretty confronting and pretty sobering to see. So what do you do when death is more obvious and closer to us? Well, I think it's very natural to hate death. Um, Here's one man. 
Uh, Larry Ellison, um, I don't know if you know Larry, um, he's the CEO of Oracle Corporation. Um, Larry, I'm told, is like the fifth richest man on the planet. Um, anyway, um, I read this article where he's quoted in it um, about sort of how the super rich are chasing immortality and, and he hates death, right? He's angry at death. So he says, death makes me angry. Doesn't make any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish? Not be there anymore. Larry's response is what lots of the super rich are trying to do. He says, I'll prevent death. That's his plan. Um, he's spending much of his fortune on developing technology to upload his brain to the cloud um, so that one day he can download it into like a cyber organism. That's what he's doing. Um, I don't know, I think of Terminator, Arnie kind of thing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's his response to death. It, it angers him. He hates death. Others, and I think this is more common, simply deny that it matters. Um, we'll come back, you know, people sort of say, we'll just come back again. Some kind of form of karma, the circle of life. Um, even the um, brilliant Albert Einstein put it this way, death is not the end if we can live on in our children and younger generation. For they are us and our bodies are only wilted leaves on the tree of life. Albert Einstein basically just wants to deny there actually is like a, an end. He'll live on some way, in some way, shape or form. Or similarly, Chris Martin from Coldplay, who likes Coldplay, here you go, uh, Chris Martin says this, I'd rather be a comma than a full stop. Of course, just a pause, not an end. Some people hate death, it angers them. For others, they deny it really matters. Um, some people, on the other hand, think that death is just simply natural. It's just part of life. The atheistic worldview, the view of raw materialism would say that death is just natural, you live, you die, just get on with it. There's nothing you can do about it. The problem is, like you and I, if we're real with each other, we don't feel like that. We feel like we don't want to just be a wave on the sand. We don't just want to be a gust of wind in the air that's there once and then forgotten. We don't want that. Actually, to deny that death really matters makes us less human, I reckon. And so into a moment in history where death looms a little larger than normal, how I think it's wonderful to come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 15 which holds out, which claims, which promises to us a, a bodily future resurrection from the dead for all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be looking at it very simply. Um, Paul's word to us this morning, here's my little, here's my statement. Hold firmly to the gospel message about Jesus' death and resurrection because it changes everything. You know, if you're a note taker this morning, um, there's three points for you, three little bits. Hold firmly to the gospel message, point one, about Jesus' death and resurrection, point two, because it changes everything, point three. There we go, so we're going to track this morning. Um, okay, here we go. Hold firmly to the gospel message. I hope you have 1 Corinthians 15 open in front of you. Verses one to two. Paul writes, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel then he says four things, four statements that I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, right? So preached, received, stand, saved. If, 
he then says, you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. The verb, uh, the verb that Paul uses there, hold firmly, is used elsewhere throughout the New Testament scriptures with regards to actually holding someone captive, right? So, you know, hold someone captive. You don't let them go. You know, don't take a chance. Don't let them run out. There's no ambiguity, right? Lock them up. They're safe and secure. Hold firmly. That's Paul's comment. The picture is, right, that you and I are stuck at the bottom of a big, dark pit somewhere and there is no way out. And yet all of a sudden, a rope descends from the top. How wonderful, right? The rope comes down, you and I stuck, can't go anywhere. The rope comes down and we grab it and we're pulled out of the pit. Paul says, here is the message about what Jesus has done. Grab hold of it, hold on to it. Do not let it go. As long as you hold on to what Jesus has done, you'll be rescued even from death. And notice this is not mere intellectual assent for Paul. You know, Paul doesn't say, oh, look, I see a rope. I see the rope is strong. That is a well-made rope. I like ropes. That looks like a nice rope. I think if I held on to that rope, I might be pulled out of this hole. What's a nice rope? I acknowledge that this rope appears to be an effective way of being rescued. So what Paul's saying. Paul is saying a Christian is not someone who says, oh yeah, Jesus, I like him, I admire him, I recognise that he's done a few good things and he potentially could save me. I acknowledge that. That doesn't make you a Christian. You've got to take hold of the rescue personally. Take your stand on this message. And this message then is all about what Jesus Christ of Nazareth has done not what you and I do. That's why I love the verse that Eloise read out this morning from Ephesians chapter two. You know, we are saved through faith because of God's grace. It's not what we have done, it's a gift from God. It's not what you do, it's not what I do. We're gonna see in a moment, all the action, verses three to eight, uh, it's all Jesus, right? So Jesus does it all, absolutely everything. Now there's a big difference, right? I don't know if you've been uh, noticing, like in this COVID-19 world in which we live, um, we're, we're told what to, we're told, we're t- uh, what, there's a difference, sorry, between what we're told to do and what has been done for us. There's a difference between what we've been told to do and what has been done for us. So let me put it in these terms, right? Um, Professor Nicola Spuria stands up, which she used to do like every day just after lunch for her press conference. And, and Nicola Spuria, for months and months and months now, she must be like getting a bit over it, but she says, right, what I need you to do is this. I need you to, to wash your hands. I need you to um, stay home if you're not feeling very well. Um, I need you to, um, you know, so if you're crook, stay home. If you're going to the Adelaide Oval to watch the football, duck if the football's coming to you, don't touch that ball. Remember that? She copped a lot for that, poor thing. Um, You've got to keep your social distance. Wash your hands, duck if the ball's coming for you, you know, et cetera, stay at home if you're crook. If you do those things, we'll probably stay pretty healthy as a community and our hospitals won't be overwhelmed. We do what we're told to do. How different it would be if at another press conference, um, Nicholas Boria just came up with a bit of a different tone and Nicholas says, you know what, it's done. It's done. Oh, the team at Pfizer and AstraZeneca, maybe just Pfizer, I don't know, they've done it. 
They've produced a vaccine that will completely knock out coronavirus everywhere. Every single member of the South Australian public in the mail will receive a tablet this week, take it, gone. We've been rescued. You just gotta take it. It's what's being described here by Paul. Actually, the Christian, the Christian is the one who knows that they can't rescue themselves, but that Jesus has done everything necessary in order to make that rescue a possibility. You know, actually, the Christian is the one who knows that it's far more important to know what God has done in the past through Jesus than actually what God has in store for us today or in the future. It's not the most popular thing to say, but it's true. What God has done for us in the past through Jesus Christ is far more important than what God has in store for us today. Because of what Jesus has done, you hold firmly to what he's done on the cross, you're saved. You can know resurrection. You have the hope in the face of our greatest enemy, death. So Paul says to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, hold firmly to the gospel message. And he says to you and to me today, hold firmly to the gospel message. And then he says, look at the content of that message. So secondly, because it's about Jesus' death and his resurrection, verses three to eight. He says, verse three, for what I passed on to you as of, onto you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to lots of different people. I don't know if you noticed four key things there mentioned, right? So numbers one and three are according to the scriptures and numbers two and four support those things, right? So Christ died and was buried, proving that. Then he was raised and he appeared, proving that. That's the logic that Paul presents to us here. But certainly Jesus' death and resurrection are highlighted. They happen according to the scriptures. Let's just look at those two then, right? Christ died. Why did Christ die? We're told for our, our sins, plural. For everything we've done wrong. For everything we have done wrong. For every selfish thought, for every evil deed, absolutely everything. Now perhaps like sin is like a, an obscure idea for you. It's a bit of a, I don't know, hard to pin down. Here's a random idea. Um, imagine sin is like a, a physical object, okay? So let's say sin is represented, every sin we commit is represented by a ball. Um, I'm glad we did a big cleanup uh, a few days ago here and I'm glad we hung on to these things because uh, they were gonna make it into the bin. But anyway, um, imagine every sin we commit is like, is like a ball. You know, you wake up in the morning and, and I, I don't know, like as you go through the day, we accumulate sin. So I wonder how long it would be to, I don't know, fill up your hands with the sins you've committed. I don't know how long it would take to fill up your backpack, uh, your bath, your car, um, I don't know, your flat that you live in. You imagine all the balls sort of piling up. I don't know if you have a house even you know, bigger. How long? Like, would it take a day? Would it take more than that? How long? The answer to that probably comes down to how self-aware you are. Because all of us are committing all kinds of sin 
all the time. Now look, some of us, obviously, you know, our sins are more obvious than others. I don't know, blatant criminal activity would be considered a sin. But for many of us, sins are much more respectable and we're really good at justifying ourselves. So when I wake up in the morning and I, I don't know, I feel like I just begin committing all kinds of selfish acts that are all about me and not about others. And, you know, most of the time like my sins are kind of self-inflicted, don't really impact on other people. But the reality is whatever sin we committed is a crime against our living God, our maker, and requires redress. So when we're told that Christ died for sins, we're told that he paid for everything we've done wrong. He atoned for them. He paid the penalty that we deserve for our sin. He died for us. Taking all that we'd done wrong and taking upon himself the penalty that was due for all those things. That's what Jesus' death does. And he does so according to the scriptures, according to the promises made by God through the Old Testament. There are many places you could turn in the Old Testament. That's the the thicker part of the Bible that we read. Um, You could go to the Psalms, right? Psalm 22, Psalm 41, or you can go to the famous Isaiah 53. Um, Here's a prediction from 800 years before Jesus Christ landed or came on planet Earth. Verse 4 to 5, surely, this is 800 years before Jesus came, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace with God was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, as the Old Testament promised. Christ died to save us from our sins. Christ died. But Christ was also raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. Now, there are all kinds of places you could go in the Bible to to see where has this come from in the scriptures. So you could just go back a few years before Paul writes a letter to to the Corinthians, and you can go to the day of Pentecost, 40 days after Jesus died on the cross. You can go go to that day of Pentecost where Peter stands up and says to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus, the one promised in the Bible, the one who was crucified just weeks earlier, he is the fulfillment of Psalm 16, what we had read out before. The one that Psalm 16 longs for is Jesus. The one who says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. Peter says that promise that God will send one who will not rot in the grave but who will overcome death, that one is the Lord Jesus Christ who's come out of the grave. You could look to Isaiah 26 verse 19. You could turn up later on this afternoon, Deuteronomy chapter, uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 12, where there's this beautiful promise that a, a multitude will be raised from the dead. This promise is not new. It's not new news. The Bible always said it would take place. Christ was raised according to the scriptures. And then just to underline this, right, Paul comments on how many people met the risen Lord Jesus Christ after he died for the sins of the world and then was raised to new life to conquer death forever. Verse 5, 
and that he appeared to Kephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Like all these people. Paul's writing this maybe 10, perhaps 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. It's very brave, isn't it, for him to publish this and say, actually, you can go and talk to people, right? They're around. Go and ask them. They saw him. There is evidence. He died, yes. He was buried, yes. But he was raised and appeared to vast numbers, demonstrating the reality of his resurrection. Now, I don't, in these brief moments we have this morning, I don't expect to persuade you in these moments of the resurrection of Jesus, but if you're wavering, if you've never thought this through, if you're a Christian having doubts this morning about the resurrection of Jesus, can I encourage you, brother or sister, go back. Look back at the evidence. Nothing's changed. It's still true. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet trusting in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, I want to encourage you, please take a look at the evidence. It's compelling evidence. Maybe that's why you've never done so. I don't know. So hold firmly to the gospel message about Jesus' death and resurrection because thirdly, it changes everything. It changes everything. Changes everything. From verse 9, right, where Paul initially describes the impact that the gospel of God's grace has had on him. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, perhaps meaning like he was like the last one to be made an apostle, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I hunted down the church. I wanted to kill Christians. But, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we all preach, and this is what you have believed. So Paul says, right, yeah, look, three times, he says three times, the grace of God turned me from being a persecutor of the church into a preacher of the grace of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I went from being one who wanted to destroy the church of God to be one of its chief builders of the church. It's an extraordinary work of God. And there are people in that list, right? James is mentioned there as one whom Jesus appeared to. You might know James was like the half-brother of Jesus. Like Jesus and James played backyard cricket together when they were growing up. I mean, it's any wonder, isn't it? Like, but the reality is James did not believe that Jesus was the son of God, God in the flesh, until Jesus appeared to him. I mean, it'd be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? You're playing backyard cricket and your brother just says, hey, guess what? You're bowling to the king of the universe. Like, what are you going to think? Yeah, I always thought you were an idiot, you know? Like, James is just an ordinary person. He was like... King of the universe, Lord of lords, King of kings, saviour of the world. You, you can't bat to save yourself. You know, like, and then Jesus meets him. And guess what happened to James? 
He went from someone who just went, you're a lunatic, to being the kind of leader of the church in Jerusalem and would ultimately give his life for Jesus for the sake of the church being built and the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Peter, Peter, I love Peter because he reminds me of me, a bit of a faulty, flawed, foible-filled man. You know, what happened to Peter? Jesus is on trial for his life. And Peter's out there on a cold winter's night warming his hands by the fire, three times denying that he ever knew Jesus. And then when Peter, I love it, when Peter saw Jesus on the beach after he'd risen to new life, Peter just leapt out of that boat, fully clothed, swam to shore because his saviour had returned. And you know that beautiful moment where, you know, is it John 21 where Jesus has a but puts on a barbecue on the beach for his mates. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Like, I'm hoping that the new creation will involve barbecues on the beach with Jesus. I mean, that is just spectacular. Fish on the barbecue. And it's around that charcoal fire. No doubt the smells of denial coming into Peter's nostrils. It's around the charcoal fire that Jesus reinstates Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. You deny me three times, I want to hear it three times. No doubt the motion's welling up. Peter goes on to be an extraordinary leader of the church. Wonderful picture of God's grace. And ultimately, he too will give his life for his king. These people meet the risen Lord Jesus and it changes everything. But then Paul turns directly to the issue of the Corinthians. We'll look at this in more detail next week, actually. Chris Fresh, by the way, from Bible College of South Australia is coming to preach for us next week, which would be great. But it seems to be from verse 12 that the Corinthians, this group of Christians in Corinth in AD 54, 55, rather than holding firmly to the message of the gospel, the Corinthians were kind of letting it go. So verse 12, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? It makes no sense, says Paul. It seems as if the Corinthians would say things like, yeah, 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 this man Jesus, he was raised from the dead. Yeah, yeah, we get that, but what impact does that have on us? It seems they still, you know, as as any Greek kind of culture would, they believed in some sort of disembodied existence in the afterlife, that the fleshly body was not important. In fact, you know, our souls were just captive in this flesh and our longing was to get out of the flesh so we could really be fully, you know, realised. And Paul says, no, Christ was physically raised, which means that you will be physically raised. Jesus is the pioneer who God raised from the dead. He has gone before us. He dangles the rope down to us and says, hold firmly, take hold of this and I'll take you to where I've already gone. It's not merely that one man has been raised. It is that resurrection power has broken into this world. There is a whole new possibility now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Others can be raised if they trust in him too. Jesus opened the door and he said, follow me. Follow me through death to new life. 
That is the promise. That is the offer that Jesus holds out to each one of us today. Follow me. Hold on to me. And I will take you through death to new, eternal, forever life. As I close, two little things to share, two obvious comments. A, or firstly, this is physical, bodily resurrection. The afterlife is not some disembodied existence. I don't know, like floaty, wearing a nighty, a bit dull, hanging out with cherubs who are throwing toilet paper around at each other on clouds. Um, you know, as if the new creation or where we're heading, if you trust in Jesus, is something you know, less than this world. No. It is this world remade, restored, bigger, grander, deeper, truer, and no death. And we're physically part of it. It's, it's physical resurrection. I don't have this in my notes, um, and I can't quote him directly, uh, but N.T. Wright, I don't agree with everything that N.T. Wright sort of speaks about or talks about in everything he writes, but he has, I think, a pretty wonderful grasp on the, the reality of the resurrection and the implications of that. And, and one of the things he says, I can't remember, I'm just going to pretend that I remember, um, but he just says, as a result of resurrection, as a result of Jesus rising up out of the grave, conquering death, it's like he says, you and I, if you trust in him, have been put back on our feet, fresh air in our lungs, and he says, go, go and make new creation happen now, because it's not going to end. It's physical, it's a bodily resurrection, and because of that, this is extraordinary hope. Real hope. Many people have died during this pandemic. Clearly, obviously, the numbers in our country are relatively low. But here is hope. The death is not the end. For the follower of Jesus, it is only truly a comma, not a full stop, because there is life to come. Um, Some of us here will know the Pravasi family part of our church community. Um, they struggle to kind of be with us in person regularly, but um, the Pravasis Ashish, Namrata, um, Angel and Anselm. About five weeks ago, Namrata's dad died in India. Um, her, her dad was sort of swept up, I guess, in the, in the wave, the big second wave of COVID that crushed, that wiped out and has impacted so many people in India. Um, the reality was, right, there just simply wasn't enough oxygen left in India. Nam couldn't be there, uh, which was deeply saddening for her dad, her, her, for her. But Kashalbai knew and trusted in Jesus. And he died. And as he died, he was holding on to the gospel message about Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection. Namrata wrote, uh, next week, or this coming week, uh, there'll be a memorial service for him um, on Wednesday. But Namrata wrote this. My dad, Kushalbai's long-awaited desire is now a reality. He will jump and breathe deeply again in the presence of God. He will sing with full lungs the praises of Jesus, free of pain, 
free of COVID. I miss him deeply, but give thanks for all the years spent together. I want the memorial next week to be a celebration of all that Christ has done and point to our hope in him. It's amazing, isn't it? And Namrata, a follower of Jesus herself, will see her dad again. And that's what every Christian can say. Hold firmly. Don't let go. Hold firmly the gospel message about what Jesus has done, his sin-smashing death, his death-crushing resurrection, because it changes everything. J.C. Ryle, an old bishop long gone uh, in the UK, said this, There is resurrection after death. Let this never be forgotten. The life that we live in here in the flesh is not all. The visible world around us is not the only world with which we have to do. All is not over when the last breath is drawn and men and women are carried to their long home in the grave. The trumpet shall one day sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. All that are in the grave shall hear Christ's voice voice and come forth. Those who have believed on Christ to the resurrection of life and those who have not to the resurrection of damnation. This is one of the great foundation truths of the Christian religion. Let us cling to it firmly and never let it go, he says. Hold firmly to what Jesus has done. And on this day, not to make it all about Eloise, but Eloise, hold firmly to what Jesus has done. Believe, all of us, believe on the promises of God and be assured, all of us, of a wonderful future. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this most precious of truths, that Christ died for our sins and rose again to new life. Father, help us by the Spirit to hold firmly to this wonderful message of what Jesus has done, to take our stand upon it, to keep believing it, maybe even today to believe it for the first time, and therefore have confidence that this world is not all there is, that when we die, it's not a full stop, But what comes after the comma is better, greater, and more wonderful. Father, please keep us in this hope that we've grasped, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.